Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy and Kurt Levins. Welcome, both of you. Hello. Hello, fellas. So, guys, I don't know how you're feeling tonight, but I'm feeling oddly deflated. And I and I usually don't feel this way on draft day. It's usually kind of a day of excitement. But, the, you know, this whole NHL experience, season being a fan, it's just, for me, it's really hitting hard how off kilter it is right now. And usually the excitement of the draft and the free agent period and all this stuff is a lot more... I feel it usually every year, but I just, it just feels, everything feels off right now. And that feeling I think was highlighted tonight because even though I don't know anything about any of these players really that are being drafted, I had an irrational hope that the Oilers would take Seth Jarvis, um, who was a, just a killer attacker in Portland this year, two points a game. And um, it looked like they might get him and they got the 13th overall and of course, Carolina, who's analytically inclined. I just, as soon as it was Carolina, I thought they're going to take him for sure. They're not going to pass on a guy with that level of scoring, which is a really remarkable leveling, level of scoring that Seth Jarvis had. And I and I wonder, I don't know, maybe the Oilers wouldn't have taken him, taken him even if he had been available. Maybe Holloway was, was always their pick. And of course, maybe Dylan Holloway, the guy the Oilers took, is going to be a much better player down the road than Seth Jarvis. I have no idea. But I was deflated by that. And then, the you know, the the additional news that Andreas Athanasiu and um, Matt Benning are going to be cut loose by the team. They're, the Oilers, are, Ken Holland has made it clear they're not going to qualify them. And they couldn't work out a deal. So just a couple things kind of got me down. Uh, so we'll talk about all of that stuff. How, how are you guys? Uh, how are you guys doing? We'll start with you, Bruce. I'll add one deflating thing, which was the word of the illness of Connor McDavid. I mean, you want to start about a way to get your week off to a crappy start. I don't know how you could do much more than that. I mean, obviously, we don't know any details and we have no idea how it's going to turn out. But at minimum, it's concerning. And all you can do is uh, hope for the best and wish wish the player uh, a rapid recovery. I saw a comment from Ken Holland this evening where he said he texted back and forth with Connor today, and mm-hmm. the report was he's doing well, whatever well means, but um, a, a little bit of positive into your into your gray evening there. Okay. Well, Connor, he always gets sick, right? Like he's one of the like. He's I've always been worried about him getting it. I've been worried about him getting it. I really have. And- I have as well. I mean, in the last. Three years hasn't he had that the flu every year? So it's not, yeah. I know this isn't the flu. He's, don't get me started on that. He's missed, three yeah. I'm game, with you. I was worried too. He's missed three games at three different times with the flu the last two years, and the year before that, he missed a whole bunch of practices, never missed any games. But they kept saying, Well, he's under the weather tonight, and I don't know what it is, but uh, uh, because I mean, obviously, he's a remarkable physical specimen to say the least, but uh. Anyway, here we are. Kurt, I wouldn't beat yourself up in in this case for comparing it to the flu. I mean, if we if, if <laughs> we go no, seriously, if we go by the science, if we go by the science for young people, this is a very scary disease for older people and people with health conditions. But you know, it, the science does tell us that people under the age of twenty five, it's very similar kind of disease in terms of its impacts on people, serious health impacts as the flu for people that age. I don't think that's 
I think that's what I've heard repeatedly from doctors. I don't think I'm making a, any kind of rash or uh, crazy statement saying that. So I'm not particularly worried about Connor McDavid and, you know, wish him well, but this is, I think I'm pretty sure he'll be fine. So leave it oh, at that. And the, the other word that Oscar Kleffbaum apparently has arthritis. That's not good. <laughs> that was seven years old. Hmm. Who said that? Where did you hear Oscar that? Oscar Kleffbaum did. Oh, he God. said it to Jason Greger. So that's uh, I don't know how common that is or what that means. <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't well, sound say good. That what it means is that the surgery to clean it up isn't as, as routine as many surgeries where you know going in what has to be done, it gets done, and you can say the guy will be ready in four to six weeks or four to six months, as the case may be. But this is a little bit more of a uncertain level of surgery that they have to uh, do if they do it playing with pain eh? that's what ken holland called it and now he you know playing with arthritis doesn't sound like it's one of the top things you want to do in life like i know a lot of older people give up hockey when they start mm -hmm. to have that those kinds of physical problems so that's really yeah. not encouraging at all so, thanks bruce something old geezers <laughs> like me are supposed to get not young bucks like oscar clapbaum Jeez. Well, this has been fun so far. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Next, next he'll lose. Next he'll lose all his hair. <laughs> oh, that's really that's that's really uh, that was I didn't know that. Oh God, that's really a bummer. Hey, listen, let's 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 be a little bit more positive here because I know a lot of fans were freaking out about the Holloway pick. But first of all, congratulations, Dale and Holloway. Congratulations mm. to you and your family. You, you have you have accomplished something that's really amazing. You are a first round draft pick in the NHL. You, you know you're a, he's a big, fast player, two way player. Um, just kicked butt in the AJHL a year ago. Um, came on strong apparently in the second half of his college season. At uh, was it is he in North Dakota? Where is he at? Uh, Wisconsin. Wisconsin, and um, is going to a team that has Connor McDavid on it, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Leon Dreisaitl on it, uh, loaded with young talent and has a chance to be part of a winning team. So, and, and again, there is a lot of people complaining about the Oilers drafting this player. And it's mainly because he wasn't a big point scorer in um, his year in the NCAA with Wisconsin. I think he put up a point every second game. And, there's lots of people right now who are quite rightly analytically inclined in looking at draft picks. And they're really focused on the one stat they can focus on, which is points per game. And he, he just doesn't measure up in that regard. Like he doesn't, he doesn't scream out top line talent or even second line talent. What, what's, you know, when you look at that level of scoring, what you're generally looking at is a player who's like a third liner, I guess, in the NHL. The only thing I would, I would say about that is, we heard a lot of the same people complaining super loudly about Philip Broberg last year. And Broberg shares a lot in common with this, with this draft pick. He's, he's a really big player and he's really fast, really good skater and little underwhelming offensive stats at the time. And even this past year. So um, I don't think we hear so much about from the Broberg haters right now about Philip Broberg after his red hot start in the Swedish league. Um, that's kind of quieted. And, and for all any of any of those people who are criticizing Holloway now, he could take off in his second year as a scorer in Wisconsin as well. 
it, it wouldn't be surprising at all and could become a first or second line winger in the NHL, um, which would be a, a good result from a player drafted 14th. Kurt? Well, what I hear about what I hear about this kid, and and, and I know a limited amount of, uh, about him to be transparent, but what I hear is that the kid's got dimension. In other words, there's nothing that he does poorly, and there's lots of things that he does well. Uh, and and I don't know about you, but unless you have super high end one dimensional talent, I'd I'd sooner have a kid that's well rounded. Uh, the guy has has size. He has strength. He has an easy, powerful stride with excellent acceleration from, from the dead stop, good around the net, drives the net, plays well in all three zones. Um, he's not a sexy pick in that he doesn't come off as a superstar, but you can easily see a kid like this becoming a third-line center, a second-line winger, uh, and, and have a really solid NHL career. Uh, and so I think that's probably the problem a lot of people have with them. This is not a sexy pick, but I think it's a pretty solid pick. And of course, you know, time will prove whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong. Bruce, you you wrote a post on him. What are the uh, scouts saying? Well, I'm just right now reading right off his page at uh, Wisconsin. I was hoping for a uh, game by game log to see how strong his second half was. They don't do that there, but what they say is a six foot. 203-pound forward finished the 2019-20 season with five of his eight goals coming over the last 10 games. Holloway had a season-best five-game point streak, three goals, three assists from February 7th to 21st. He finished fourth on the team with 84 shots and led the Badgers with 19 penalties. Brad Creek, Alberta native, was invited to Hockey Canada's virtual 2020 National Junior Team Summer Development Camp. So he's a candidate for uh, for Team Canada, and uh, of course, the previous year as a, as a basically a rookie in the AJHL, a young player in the AJHL at least, he won the MVP with uh, 40 goals and 88 points in just 53 games. Uh, he led that league not in scoring but in points per game. Uh, he was uh, tops in that league as a young player, and he was one of only two uh, draft eligible players that played in the NCAA anywhere last year. So on the downside, he's one of the oldest eligible players for this year's draft with a September 19th birthday. He was just four days shy of uh, qualifying for last year's draft. And he's on a team with two other first rounders from last year's draft. The two guys from that celebrated U.S. national development team, Alex Turcott and Cole Caulfield, both went in the top half of the first round last season. And they are about eight months older than Caulfield. So they're all 2001 birthdays, but he's a few months behind those guys. And there was only so much ice time to go around for freshmen. And so it sounds like he didn't get as much power play time or, or uh, maybe top line mates uh, that they did. But th- that's going on hearsay. I have to admit, I never saw you of Wisconsin play any games, so I can't uh, can't speak to that. What uh, what else are what are you uh, in your post, Bruce? What else are some of the uh, some of the scouting experts having to say about this player? Well, there's a there's kind of a range of of skills. I mean, uh, uh, Grant of uh, the recruits site, uh, Grant McCag, they cite a number of different different scouts. 
One says, I'm a big fan. He'll play in the NHL. I don't know if he's got a ton of playmaking or scoring ability, but he's strong, a great skater, competitive. He scored 40 in the AJHL the year before, so there's some offense there, and he is a beast physically. I thought he was excellent in the second half. His skating is pro-like already. And then somebody else said, this guy could be a third liner, fourth liner. I don't see him as a top six guy. Obviously, he's a powerful skater. He hasn't really proved he's producer. And uh, the third scout in that source said he'll probably be a winger, but able to fill in some games at center. He's smart enough, big enough, and skates well enough. I think on a good team, you're going to get the most out of him on the wing. And, of course, he, he does play both positions. So it's nice to have that versatility because, as Kurt's already mentioned, the Oilers could use a, uh, either a 3C or a top six winger, the kind of player that they theoretically had in Ryan Strom that uh, has uh, <laughs> since become a gaping hole on the Oilers again. So anyway, so he but he does play centers his natural position, and uh, but already sort of accustomed to making the shift to wing. So, some someone mentioned so he missed the last draft by just a few days, and someone said if he had gone in the 2019 draft, he might not have been taken in the first three rounds. Uh, an Oilers fan, Oilers fan was suggesting. I, I think that's probably not it. accurate. I think he he probably would have been. Maybe later in the draft, um, but maybe late first round, second round. Uh, I, I can't say. Like I, I don't. I don't really rate these players. But that sounds like a bit of a, a stretch. Last year he was coming off that terrific season in Olds and joining That's right. that big program in Wisconsin, the same place that was that Caulfield and and uh, Dirkot were going to. I would have thought there'd be a little bit of a buzz around the guy. Again, maybe not first round a year ago and. Sometimes these older guys, and the Oilers really have a penchant for taking these late birthdays. I think this makes seven out of the last 11 drafts. And just by pure math, there's only about 30% of draft picks taken who are late birthdays. Uh, but the Oilers have taken a lot of them, first round, second round. A lot of them. Any other thoughts on the draft, Kurt? Any other just watching uh, it or... Well, I, I I was really confident that the Oilers were hoping for Jarvis to fall to 14. I know that's who they who they had their eyes on. Yeah. That's who they wanted. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people say, you know, will, 20, will 2020 never end? Well, in this case, will, will 2006 never end? Because Carolina gets us again. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I wondered when he went to Carolina, I wondered about Gooley, the, the, the kid from yeah. the, the, the defense, the left, the left-handed defenseman. Cause I know the Oilers, uh, liked him, but I think with the amount of, of organizational depth at defense, I, I think they were pretty convinced that they should pick someone that they could probably play down the middle in their organization. I really don't disagree with that. So, yeah. Holland already said, David, in a column you wrote earlier this week, you know, right in the headline, that he didn't think Oilers would pick a defenseman this year. And it was, it's clearly a thing of organizational need. And when you're getting to the middle of the round, it's not like there's usually one guy that's head and shoulders above everybody else that's left. So the, the teams with the need will tend to pick to that need. You know, you picked up on a good point there too, I think, Bruce, because when you look at the, the various rankings, it's it's not like the guy we got was ranked like 30th. It's, it's it's not like that pick was from left field. 
it was within a place or two of where, where most of the guys had them. So it's, uh, I mm-hmm. think the people who are saying this was a big swing and a miss are, I think they're just, you know, looking to make, make a headline as far as I'm concerned. He was ranked in the consensus ranking. So I, I take all the public experts, put them together. There's 20 mm-hmm. of them that are pretty prominent, like Craig Button, Bob McKenzie, Corey Pronman, people like this, uh, the most prominent ones. And and he, I think he ranked uh, 17th. Um, so he's taken 14th. So he was, you know, Jake Satterson, I think, was ranked uh, um, 12th or 10th or 12th. So like in Ottawa, took him fifth. So mm-hmm. so the, this was in the normal parameters of an amateur draft, easily, easily within that. This wasn't like Columbus, Columbus taking <laughs> Yegor Chinnikov. I think some of those guys hadn't, hadn't even... They, so Button had him ranked 49th, 59th, Craig Button. He, he had just updated his list and because this guy is off to a good start in the KHL. So he's, he's on... But he was on no other lists to speak of. And in the consensus rankings... He was a hundred and thirty third. One hundred and thirty. I loved it when the I loved it when the guys at the panel kind of looked around at one another and said, Do you know anything about this guy? <laughs> I wonder why they Remind, didn't trade down there. Yeah. Reminded me of the infamous uh, Yessi Ninamaki pick. When they had when the, when the commenters had no idea about who, who the guy was. But yeah, speak of trading down, now Calgary, that team that recently uh, uh, stole a third round pick from Edmonton. They were able to trade down twice in a row and they went all the way down from 17, I think it was, to no, 19 to 24. They, they moved down just five places in the second half of the first round and they got two extra fairly high draft picks out of that. That was the kind of move I was kind of thinking Edmonton might make, especially yeah. after, uh, after Jarvis went and you were sort of at the next layer of players and I thought maybe... You know they'll they'll find a, a team to trade down. But Calgary found two partners that were just a few spots down, but obviously had a player they were really wanted to move on, and they didn't want to take a chance that he'd be gone. So Calgary got a couple more picks out of it. So they'll be Maybe dealing that trade from wasn't a there. deeper Maybe deck. Well, yeah, yeah, they'll be dealing from a deeper deck tomorrow than Edmonton will, unfortunately. And they got Connor Zeri at twenty uh, fourth. He's an interesting player. He Not has bad. the same level, same level of um, draft age scoring as Ryan Nugent Hopkins in Nugent Hopkins' uh, draft year. He was uh, one point five per game. In, in he just kept Hockey. falling and falling. Hey, it was uh, yeah. It's uh, yeah. That's there's a, there's a sign there, right? There's more than one team saw or heard something about him that they didn't necessarily not like, but they just weren't convinced of. So. Well, Calgary, I mean, they could have took him at 19, and instead they still got him at 24, plus they got two more picks tomorrow. So that's some pretty some pretty slick dealing on their part, I'd have to say. Yep, agree. Uh, yeah, I, I hate to say that, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> to keep up the cheerful conversation, fellas. Well, I, right. was, I was interesting Let's... to hear that, that, uh, that uh, the guy that we did pick, even though he grew up in Bragg Creek, uh, and and said at one point his family did cheer for the flames. He said, "I don't cheer for the flames anymore, and neither does my family." <laughs> so like, I think Oilers fans were happy to hear that one. So, uh-huh. his dad played in Saskatchewan. Um, yes, he was a, he was a good hockey, hockey player. 
Yeah, he, he played he played in the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League in the late seventies. I saw him play. His dad was a good player. Yeah, uh, and, and and yeah, and if he's getting if he has the same frame that his dad has, then he's he he's he's big boned as they as they say. So, well, six foot two oh three. It doesn't sound that big, but man, when you actually look at the guys that got picked this year. Awful lot of small guys got selected. So he's one of the bigger guys. They're describing him as a power forward. And I think yeah. I heard that 203 might not be up to date and that he may right. be heavier than that now. I don't know by how much, but I know I heard someone mention that. So They all looked really tall and really skinny to me mm-hmm. <laughs> and really young. <laughs> all those, all the kids that got drafted. Um, oh, here, so, here's one more for you. Sorry. I heard ahead. someone tonight and I thought it was a really good observation. Uh, they said what Holloway is. He's he's a better skating Sean Horkoff. Jim Paplinski. All right. Uh, Sean Horkoff was a heck of a hockey player in his day. Yeah, I I played with Pep, and 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 Horkoff is a better player than Pep. <laughs> yes, he, he's uh, he's, and he wasn't a bad skater himself, Sean Horkoff. No, not at all. I agree. But uh, so, so thought that thought that's an interesting comparison to kind of mm-hmm. swirl around. Yeah, you know, this. these picks are, of course, hugely important to the future of the franchise. Tyler Wright has got to get this right. Tyler Wright didn't have a great record in Detroit as an amateur scout, so I can see why people are a bit skeptical. And I, I don't, like, Wright wasn't here in Edmonton when we made the Broberg pick. So, um, and I'm not sure if he was in charge in Detroit, though, when they made the pick of, of Moritz Sider last year, either. Like, I'm not sure that if Iserman still had Wright as the number one guy or his, his own guy was the, you know, who, who replaced Tyler Wright was making the pick then. So, but uh, Wright's record wasn't fantastic in Detroit. It's still early to tell, of course, but um, the early returns, it was kind of, kind of so, so anyway, um, the other big news is Ken Holland has said that they tried to work out deals with Athanasiu and uh, Benning, but were unable to, and they're not going to be qualifying either of them at this point. Uh, Kurt, what do you make of that? Um, well, with Benning, um, I think you had to do it because anybody who's watched Matt Benning for the last couple of years would surely agree Matt Benning's a pretty good 5'6. You know what? He's a pretty good 5'6, but he's paid too much for a 5'6. And every time several coaching staffs tried him out as a 3'4, he couldn't cut it. Uh, it's not like they tried him for a couple games. They tried him for long stretches, and it was clear he was not a middle-pairing D-man. So I think at some point you got you got to say he is what he is, and especially in a tight cap, you've you can you can get as good as Matt Benning for less as a five-six, especially with all the million-dollar defensemen that will be flooding the market this year. Now maybe they sign him out of free agency for nine hundred thousand dollars. Right, yeah, but but there's going to be 12 to 15 defensemen as good as Matt Benning uh, that are going to be UFAs here in a week. And so, I, well, I had more time for Matt Benning than a lot of people did, I think. Uh, I, under, I understand the move, uh, and I wish Matt Benning well, but I think from an organizational standpoint, I really think it was the, the correct move. Bruce? Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, he's uh, he's in that rare subclass of players that actually chose to come to Edmonton. He's an Edmonton native, and he was a free agent. He could have gone anywhere. He came here. 
He came here, he made the team, he barely played any time in the AHL, he just made the NHL straight out of college. And he had, you know, a couple of promising years, and then Peter Chiarelli paid him based on the promise as opposed to based on the accomplishment. And you know, those salaries are a double-edged sword. When they raise, they raise the salary, they raise the expectations of the fans, they raise the platform or that qualifying offer, and if by the time that you know, that contract is played out. If he's not at that level yet, all of a sudden he's seen as an underachiever. Now, I don't see Matt Benning as an underachiever, but I do understand that in the 2020 free agency, two million marginal dollars could get you two players as opposed yep. to one. And it's uh, it's it's a rough uh, situation. I'm a fan of Matt Benning. I enjoyed watching him play. Uh, I thought he was feisty. I, I liked the way he would step up and cream guys. I thought he had a pretty good shot off the point. And uh, he would, uh, you know, he was a watchable player. And, and uh, uh, wish him well. I loved his uh, defensive fundamentals. I, mm -hmm. I don't think, like when I think of uh, Edmonton Oilers defensemen getting beat out of the corner or not covering their man in front of the net, he's almost the last player on the Oilers, I would think of in those terms. He was just almost always on the right side of his man in the defensive zone, which is kind of, if you want to hang on in the NHL as a bottom-pairing defenseman, that's a pretty good uh, skill to have. And like you said, Bruce, he had a bit of offense. He could get the uh, puck, puck on net. He was really set back by injuries. There's yeah. just no doubt about that in my mind. And they, they, they've been ongoing injuries. Um, so, and also, listen, his passing is, is subpar at the NHL level, and so is his skating. And although he could get by defensively, the owners need better players moving the puck this year, even on the third pairing than Matt Benning. They've got to improve from that. And they have a player in Evan Bouchard who's who was an, just an outstanding major junior hockey player. He had a really good year in Bakersfield on the attack. Come on, Evan Bouchard, I know they want a slow whatever, you know, bring walk. these players along, slow walk the players, bring them along slowly. But I, Evan Bouchard uh, is going to be ready to challenge for a job and maybe even power play time if, if Clef bombs out. As Kurt has said a number of times, they can also bring in a veteran, maybe as a, a 7D or on the, on the, uh, as a third D. But if you, if you have Adam Larson, uh, Ethan Bear and Evan Bouchard as your three right D. I, I like the sound of that. You got the, the the veteran, you've got the young pro who's proven himself, and you got their up and coming player. That's a good mix, and it's the right price level. And backed up by Lagasin as your seventh D man. That that could work for me. And um, so yeah, you can't. It, both of these decisions to me were easy decisions to make. Both of these players in today's NHL are not worth this amount of money. You've got to be very careful with your money. You can't afford them. And that goes for Athanasiu as well. Oh. He was He's not, I don't think anymore, a $3 million a year winger. He's probably more like $2 million or $1.5 million. We'll see what he gets. And um, there's a lot of Joe Haggerty um, of the NBC Sports in Boston had this comment to make about the Athanasiu uh, non-qualification by the Oilers. He said, the Oilers gave up two second-round picks for Athanasiu at the deadline. Head-scratching asset management. And, of course, a lot of the Oilers Oiler fans are saying the same thing, but I can't bring myself to say that because at the time that the trade was made, I felt that the Oilers had a chance to go far in the playoffs. 
I was really happy that they added some players like Ennis and Athanasiu, not so much Green. But those two players, Athanasiu and Ennis, I thought these were reasonable prices to pay. And and um, I just think it's it's uh, kind of the worst kind of hindsight in a way. Like unfair, I think it's really unfair hindsight on Ken Holland on this one because, uh, as we've said before, COVID happened, which had a, it had a two-pronged effect on this. Athanasiu was given much less time to fit in on the Oilers than he normally would have been. Uh, about what was 10, 10, 11, 12 games, 10, 11, 12 games at the end of the year. I'm nine like Ken games. Holland, nine games. I'm like Ken Holland here struggling for the right number uh, and uh, getting it wrong. And uh, so he, that time was cut in half. The whole playoff experience was kind of weird and truncated because of this. And, and then, the cap. And then the cap. Yeah. They, they would have qualified him easily at, at to three million if it was 85 million. And, and that's just not in the cards right now. So I'm I'm OK with both moves. Bruce? Well, as, as I said the other day, that the thing about the 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 cap going down by four million, it's only five percent of uh, of the overall cap, but of the marginal guys that aren't guaranteed contracts, it was like it just put a huge dent in the amount of money Holland had to to spend on replacement players, where he had five holes in the roster by my count, and he would have had twelve million dollars to spend on it. That suddenly got crushed down to eight million. And if you're paying three or maybe even more than that on one guy, that really crimps your style elsewhere. And he knows that it's going to ripple through the market. So there's going to be bargains that come up in the market from other teams. I mean, we heard today of a guy like Vinny Hinestroza who came available. You know, that's a pretty decent player who's going to hit the market because his team didn't qualify him. There's going to be more. Tomorrow afternoon, that deadline tomorrow afternoon is going to be super interesting, I think. And it's going to really change this year's UFA market. Unlike anyone that we've ever seen before, it's going to get flooded with RFAs where you're going, what? They didn't qualify that guy? How'd that happen? But this year it's happened because of the of the cap. That, that said, Asensio's platform was as high as $3 because it was Holland who gave him the bigger contract before and set the platform. And then it was Holland that made the bet on the guy, and a big bet it was with two second-round draft picks and Sam Gagne. For a guy who came here and did not very much, and it's you know pretty disappointing to uh, say goodbye to those two second-round picks for nine games of a player and you know four playoff games. I've so. heard from a couple of people that it was Archie Henderson was the guy that that really advocated for uh, Athanasiu, that he mm. was the guy who went to bat and convinced Holland to bring him in. But Holland. Kurt, I mean, Holland was there the whole time that Henderson was there. I mean, Holland's seen as much as Henderson has. So, And Holland hired Henderson. So Holland has got to wear, like, he's got to wear this completely as far as I'm Sure, but you know how Holland works, David. I mean, he he hires his guys and he lets his guys do his job. Uh, And so it's my understanding that that Archie was the guy who's, you know, is kind of the head of pro scouting. This is the guy we should get. So, well, I'm not suggesting that some of this shouldn't stick to Ken, but if if your chief scout is mm-hmm. is making a call to spend that many assets on that guy and that's all you got out of it, uh, mm-hmm. I'd suggest to you at least 50% of it sticks on your head scout. Oh, yeah. Oh, he, he wears some of it, too. And, I mean, we're looking at this whole whole triad of, uh, of uh, Holland, <laughs> Henderson, and Wright. That all came over from Detroit. Now we have, you know, a GM and a, our head pro scout and our head amateur scout or chief mm-hmm. scout or whatever the heck they call them. 
and and uh, you know the their their watches started and some of the early uh, moves you know you have to question I mean Athanasiu I mean what did he do he came here he got a goal and assist in his first game and then nothing zero points in the in the last twelve games including the play-ins zero points and. Um, you know what I didn't like about Afanasio was the lack of hustle. Like honestly, in the playoffs, I'm I'm sitting there watching him. Like, where? Why aren't you forechecking harder? Why don't you get on? Like, you're this fast player and you're just kind of cruising around. You're not in the play. Like, it just made me question what was what what's with this player? Like, he was what just. What do you think was what do you think was with him? Oh, well, I don't why, think he, why, I don't think he fit in with Drysaitel and Yamamoto. I think he was lost on that line. He didn't know what to do. I think he was on the wrong line. He was on a line of players that, that give and go the puck and have high hockey IQs. He ain't that player. He's a player that needed a more simple role on the team. Go to hard to the net. Come back hard on the back check. We want you to do two things. That's it, Andreas. Two things: hard to the net, hard on the back check, and you have enough otherwise skill that you'll get by. So I personally don't think Tippett did a great job with this player at that time, but I also blame the player for not figuring it out either. So, but he, what, Kurt, I wonder, you, I, I wonder if you gave the Oilers coaches truth serum uh, and asked them, so, so how many players were you happy with with what shape they came back in after the pause? I wonder what they'd say. You seem like you might know something, Kurt. I'm just, I just have my spider senses are tingling. I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, you're, you're right. Uh, a, a fast guy like Athanasiu didn't look fast in the playoffs. I wonder why that was. That's really disappointing. That's, oh. uh, that's the even less reason to celebrate tonight. <laughs> and I think well, the last time you, and I think the last time we talked, I think I mentioned, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Ken Holland went to Darren Ferris, Athanasiu's agent and said, you know what, you know, why don't we try a one-year, $2 million contract? Right. But remember I said at the time, Ferris is not a guy with a reputation for giving hometown discounts. It's the opposite. He really goes to bats for, bat for his players, and good on him. But I, I think the fact that, that Ken went at the agent and came back with nothing shouldn't come as a shock, considering who he was talking to. Well, hey, I mean, obviously Ferris did a pretty good job ringing $6 million over two years in the previous <laughs> contract. The one that set the platform, but uh, uh, too bad. I can't see him getting that this time around. Can you? No, no. I'm, I was just going to say I'll be very interested to see what this player actually commands on the open market, and if there's even one team out there that says we still think this is a three million or even a two and a half million dollar player, or maybe says, hey, this is a 26 year old guy who can skate and score. Let's uh, let's go let's go deep. Too bad Negard wasn't healthy. Like, I get the sense that he really wasn't that healthy because he would have been a better pick. If Athanasio if really wasn't, was he, if he was not in top shape coming back to camp, put it, if they could put in Negard, that would have worked out better for everybody and, and sent a message to that player. Like, that's not acceptable. Yeah, but from what I understand, Negard's injury just, the, yeah. the, the, heart, was, the heart was there, but the body wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. The same injury. He still got the same injury in, in uh, Sweden. I reported originally because I, I heard that he got broke the same finger, but actually he did nothing to the finger. It just wasn't healed, and he had to get a second surgery on the oh, same wow. finger that he got done before. He played one game. He played through pain, and he said, I can't do this. You know, I got to gotta get this fixed. So, Too bad. I really know, like that player. 
Yeah, I mean, if he hadn't got hurt in January, they may never even needed to make the trade for Athanasiu for all. Yes, it's a very good, very good point. You know, but you know, the flip side of all this is 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 now you've got Athanasiu and Benning's money to spend on something else. I mean, it it really all of a sudden changes the complexion of what Ken Holland might be able to do here in the next few weeks. Yeah. (laughs) Five million, five million dollars. Five million dollars in this market is a lot of money. Yeah, absolutely, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, now, a, it's a big buyer's market. I'm, I'm with you there, Bruce. What do you think of some of these? Like there, there was talk today of Mark andre Fleury being available, $3.5 million and you get a second pick. And I was looking at it, and I think, you know, that sounds enticing. But when you think about it, $3.5 million is a lot of money for a backup goalie who's been kind of league average the last two years and is getting older. And then there was the Tyler Johnson thing where T- Tampa wants a – Johnson is is now um, 30 years old. He's got four years left on a contract that pays him $5 million a year. And Tampa apparently wanted a first-round draft pick for this player. Like, what are they smoking? Like, I, I just think that's that's looking, crazy talk. He's he's, looking, got, he's probably got negative value. They're looking for the J.T. Miller magic to strike there again. Last year, they got a first-round pick for J.T. Miller. And you know what? Uh, Vancouver got value for that first-round pick. They did. But Tyler Johnson, age 30 in this market, Tampa's between a rock and a hard place. I mean, this is a real bad time to be trying to be clearing out $5 million support players. And they got several of them. He's a good player, Tyler Johnson. I oh, shouldn't oh, yeah. be so harsh. But he his level of even strength scoring is the same as Andreas Athanasio for the last two years, which is not bad, a bad level of scoring. 1.9, about 1.9 points per 60. Tyler Toffoli's in that same range. Uh, Lou, uh, Jake DeBrusque. Athanasio has good numbers. Like, for the, if you go back two years, I should say, and average it all out over two right. years, uh, which I think is fair for a younger player to do. But um, Tyler Johnson just struck, like, I don't know. Like, can they even move this? move a player like that i guess probably maybe a team like detroit like or ottawa who's really desperate for a player um or montreal even might might go for for that for that but uh, without but i don't see giving anyone giving like a maybe that was just a, a joke maybe <laughs> I don't know. maybe that was made up in someone's as ken holland said made up by someone uh in their living room playing gm and it wasn't related to the truth well, tampa's gotta come out and ask for something for him and then that'd be quickly prepared to come off that asking price. But if they, sure. you know, if they come out and say, well, we want to give you a first round pick and Tyler Johnson as our starting position, like Vegas has done with Flurry. I mean, I, I find that a strange negotiating stance. But. Any predictions for uh, Oilers <sighs> transactions this coming week, guys? Kurt, anything? Um. Well, I think if the Claft bomb thing had not transpired, I think they were shopping for two things and maybe two things only. A goaltender, Koskinen-level goaltender, yeah. uh, and, and someone who is a real third-line NHL center. Um, and I still think, even with Claft bomb's injury, I still think those are the top two things on their list. And I do wonder if the whole Claft bomb thing changes the complexion of... of what happens with Chris Russell? Uh, suddenly, uh, he's he's. I think he was always valuable to the team. He might be yes. more valuable now. Uh, you know, um, so I, I think I'm looking for a goaltender. I'm looking for a third line center, and I wouldn't be surprised if they sign a depth NHL defenseman for like a million dollars. 
that that would be my prediction. Bruce? Yeah, there's going to be a few of those million-dollar guys out there. I mean, the one thing they could do with Chris Russell is trade him for another $4 million contract where the other guys get paid, so the other team wants to move a guy, and, and the Oilers actually improve uh, by making such a deal, either by getting a trading Russell for a goalie or for maybe another veteran defenseman that's just a, you know a little, one step above Russell. I mean, that $2.5 million cushion that he's prepaid has value on this yes. market. It does. And so, I mean, I'm just spitballing they trade him for Alex Goligoski now I couldn't tell you that Alex Goligoski is a better player than him I, I can tell you he's getting the same cap hit but they actually have to pay him all that money in Arizona and they don't want to do that so you could probably find a trade of that of that nature uh, I don't expect expect it but it's it's possible and see the thing that worries me is if Clef bomb is out um, I have no problem with Ethan Bear uh, and and Evan Bouchard, um, you know, being being two of your 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 top six defensemen. I don't have any trouble with, with Caleb Jones being two of your top six defensemen. But think of the inexperience of those three D men, uh, and if you and if you consider that, I then think that the experience and the ability to still on the left-hand side to still be a middle, a middle-pairing defenseman, I think. I, I wonder if the Oilers are thinking twice about moving Chris Russell for that reason. Yeah, I agree, Kurt. I think it changes that considerably. Unless they can get a similar player to Russell, maybe they could get a on a one million dollar a year contract, which is possible. Um, yep. yep. Then they could trade him for a. They could trade Russell for the third line center that they need, or the or or a winger to play with McDavid. So, but I, I'm, I'm very bullish on Caleb Jones as a player, and I just really think the Oilers need to improve their puck moving. So, if you have both Russell and Larson back, that's kind of you're getting into iffy territory in terms of puck moving as a group. You are replacing Benning with Bouchard probably at this point. Then, mm -hmm. so that's a huge, significant mm -hmm. improvement. Caleb Jones, I think, is equal to Oscar Clefbaum as, as an even-strength puck mover. We'll see how he can handle the defensive end of things, but I don't see him being inferior to Clefbaum as a puck mover, even in a in, in even in tough uh, moments against tough competition because that's Jones' strength of his game. He can really move that puck. So, um, but yeah, I think Russell is likely to, far more likely than he was before to be around. I would have expected him to move today, honestly, for a draft pick. Or, but I guess they can still trade him for a draft pick tomorrow if that's going to happen. Like, I didn't think he'd get a first-round draft pick for Chris pick. Russell. No, but they, maybe they'll be able to get a third or fourth-round pick for Chris Russell. I don't know what he what I was reading from be. a number – sorry, David. I, I was reading from a number of general managers tonight that were saying that the chatter has really picked up on the phones tonight. And, and a number of them were projecting that would it would be a much busier tomorrow than today was. So. Alrighty, well, why don't we leave it there, gentlemen, unless uh, any other thoughts, or is that good? Good to go, Bruce? My only thought Alrighty. is that there was five players in the top 14, including the one Oilers picked, who were 16-year-olds playing at the Linka Gretzky Cup, the first one in Edmonton, in 2018. Now, two years, actually two years and two months ago, 
that we got our, our first look at Alexis Lafreniere, Lucas Raymond, Alexander Holtz, Yaroslav Askarov, and Dylan Holloway. They all played all in right. that tournament. They all won medals in that tournament. And they weren't even draft eligible that, that year. They were the next class behind, but good enough to make that tournament and succeed in it. And now, lo and behold, so that, that getting that tournament was a real boon for Edmonton to get to see, you know, the future. Because there was a lot of guys that got picked in the first round last year, you know, uh, uh, Dylan Cousins and, and uh, oh, well, numerous players from, from that draft. And uh, then already five more this year, so... This, this year I felt in some ways more tapped into some of these top prospects than I've actually seen him play. You're the king of that stuff, Bruce. I don't have enough room in my head for those things. <laughs> I don't know how, I don't well, know how I went, you do it. I went to a bunch of games, so I actually saw some of these guys play. Now, I can't say that I, I, I've got nothing specific to tell you about Dylan, Dylan Holloway, but uh, I sure was taken by that Swedish pair. Boy, oh boy, Raymond and Holtz. Good players. Alrighty. Kurt... Thanks for joining us tonight. Happy to be here, guys. And Bruce, always great to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for talking. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.